Hello and welcome back. Come join me, Megan, and sit for a spell round the cauldron while we talk about witchcraft, polytheism, and the intersection of magic and mundane. This month I wanted to take a little detour, I guess, from doing interviews, though those are fun to do, and I want to talk about being a beginner in occult spaces. Before we get into the bulk of the episode, I just want to let everyone know that you might hear some background noise for this podcast episode and the episodes in the future. Anyway, um, we don't really have an astrological forecast for the month of January, so I'm just going to give three dates that might be of importance to you. The first date is January 2nd. We have a new moon in Capricorn. Mercury retrograde starts on January 14th, and on January 17th is a full moon in Cancer. As always with astrology and all of these dates, make sure that you check it with your location so you can be more specific and have the right time for whenever these events are. I also have to give a shout out to my wonderful patrons over on Patreon. I see you, I love you, thank you so much for all of your support. If you join me on Patreon, you get access to all videos and podcasts and posts before they go live. We're also still in the thick of our book club, and I know I mentioned this in the last episode, but we're still reading Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kamerer, so you can join me over on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash roundthecauldron, and I'll include at the end of the episode, if I don't forget, a few more ways that you can help support the show, because... It's only through the support of others, through Patreon, through watching my YouTube videos and the ads that are on that space, donations, buying things in my shop. It's only through all of that that I'm able to continue with the podcast and with my channel because it takes time and money to do. So it makes me very happy to know that everyone who listens to the podcast or watches the videos or partakes in any other of my content um, enjoys it and gets something out of it. So without further ado, let's talk about being a beginner in occult spaces. And I wanted to talk about this partly because it's a new year. We're moving into 2022. But also, uh, beginners get a bad rap in our communities a lot of the time. Through the pandemic and through COVID, you know, beginners have popped up like weeds. People are finding witchcraft, finding the occult, finding paganism and polytheism through social media, through things like TikTok and Instagram and even YouTube. And that's fantastic. Will the momentum of all of these beginners stick around? I'm not sure. I think, you know, some people will come to witchcraft, dabble in it for a little bit, and figure out that it's not for them, and then they will leave. And that's totally, totally fine. But I see oftentimes, and I have been guilty of some of the things that I'm going to talk about too, where beginners are dismissed, or they're infantilized, or they are... Um, talk to down to. And I want to talk about how those of us in the occult community who have platforms or who are um, putting themselves out there to have people ask questions of them, 
how we're doing a disservice to beginners in the community by doing a few different things. But let's talk about what a beginner is first, because I feel like we often are obsessed with these with this idea of advancing in our practice or being an advanced witch and trying to move out of the phrase out of the phase of being a beginner as fast as possible but i think we have a misunderstanding of what it means to be a beginner and a lot of practitioners lump themselves together where they feel like if they don't have an understanding of very common practices within the occult sphere, like astrology, for example, then they're going to call themselves a beginner because they don't understand astrology. If that were the case, I would have to consider myself a beginner because I don't understand astrology and it just goes right over my head and it's not something I'm interested in. But being a beginner in general... I feel as someone who comes to the occult with no prior understanding of anything in the occult whatsoever. And that's fine. But I don't think we ever become advanced in a holistic sense. Because it's impossible to know everything. And, you know, when people think about an advanced witch... Or in my head, when I first think about advanced witch, I think of someone who knows a lot about a lot of things. But that's not necessarily the case. And it's entirely possible to be a beginner at something and an advanced practitioner at something else. It's entirely possible to be like me, who has been practicing witchcraft for more than 10 years, be advanced in certain practices and a beginner in others. Your age and your amount of experience has no bearing on whether you are a beginner or an advanced practitioner. You can be 50 years old, you can be 80 years old, and still be a beginner. That's okay. You can be 10 years old or 15 years old and be advanced in some practices. That's okay too. And even if you've been practicing for 20, 30, 50 years, you're not necessarily going to be an advanced practitioner, and that's okay. I know I've mentioned in a previous episode, I don't remember which episode it was, um, that I'm reading Thorne Mooney's new book, The The Witch's Path, A Witch's Path. The Witch's Path? It's one of those. Um, I'm reading Thorne's new book, and... It's really making me sit down and think. And I did a video on ego and practice, and that video was inspired by this book. But there is an entire section on the beginner's mind. And it is, I don't want to say revolutionizing my practice, but it's really putting me backwards and making me think about how I approach certain things. And if I put myself in that position of, okay, I'm going to imagine that I have no idea what this thing is about and I'm going to come into it with a beginner's mind and I am going to be excited about learning it and it's going to be an amazing discovery and I'm going to learn all these new things. That's priceless. 
Because there are so many things that I know now that I wish I could go back and relearn from a clean slate to have that excitement. And so it's okay to be a beginner. And honestly, I envy beginners sometimes, people who are coming into a new type of practice because it's full of people that are coming into a new type of practice because it's full of wonder and amazement and excitement. And yeah, I think you should read Thorne's book just because it's so great. Um, I have already finished it, but I'm going to go back through and read it again because I think it's just that good. So, with all of that being said about beginners and uh, beginner, beginner practitioners versus advanced practitioners, I hope all of that made sense because at this point I'm flying by the seat of my pants. I have some notes and no script today because I just didn't want to write one. Um, I have some points about how we do a disservice to beginners. I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven points on how we do a disservice to beginners. And before we get into these things, I, you know, full transparency, I have done some of these things before and I'm owning up to it because I have learned in being in these spaces and talking to so many people who are beginners, who are just learning new things, what they find helpful and what they don't. And so the first thing that I want to talk about is a phrase that we all hear. Just Google it. Just look it up. Just type type whatever it is that you're looking for into Google and you'll find your answer. But there's so much more to it than that. Because, yes, while you can type into Google um, correspondences of Juniper, there's so much more to searching online than just typing a phrase into a search engine. Because if someone... Okay, let let me figure out how to phrase this properly. If someone comes to me and they ask me a question that I feel can be Googled, First, yes, I'm probably going to get a little frustrated. Like, why didn't you just look it up? But there are certain things that I feel like can be Googled by mostly everyone. And certain things that I feel like if they're asking me that question, there's a reason they didn't look it up themselves. And then the third one is that some people just don't want to do the work and they want people to answer all of their questions. But I'm not going to talk about that because I think, honestly, that's that's few and far between. So the first things that I think can be Googled by just about anyone is someone looking for facts, um, things that can be proven or written about, and things that have sources. The second one is going to be things like correspondences and things that are generally more personal. By telling someone to just Google it, we run the risk of ignoring the fact that one, we have put ourselves in a position, or not we, I have put myself in a position where I am open to the questions of others. If I tell someone to just Google it, Why did I put myself in a position to help others and answer questions in the first place then? Secondly, not everyone has the capability to tell good information from bad information. 
And it's the internet. You can put anything on the internet. Just because it's on the internet doesn't make it true. But learning discernment, or to take it a step further, learning research skills and learning how to tell good information from bad information takes practice. And so I have come to look at these questions as a chance to, yes, answer the question, but also maybe tell people how they can find answers for themselves. And that leads into my second point of common sense. People should use their common sense, but common sense is something that has to be taught. Common sense implies, as a friend has so eloquently put it recently, common experience. What is common sense for one person might be brand new information for another. For me, it's common sense not to put my hand on a stove after I have finished cooking. It's common sense not to burn herbs in my house without ventilation. It's common sense that you look both ways before crossing the street. But these are all based on common experiences or things that I have been taught. Yes, I don't put my hand on a hot stove after I'm done cooking because it's still hot and I'm going to get burned. But you know how I learned that? I was taught. Yes, it's common sense for me not to burn herbs in a room that's not well ventilated because I know that smoke inhalation is bad and I grew up with asthma. Yes, I know that it's common sense to look both ways before crossing the street. I was taught that same thing and I taught my daughter. But if people aren't in a place to get what people call common sense, then it's not going to be common for them and they're not going to know. It might be common sense for me to not ingest any herbs that I don't know anything about. Even if some guru on the internet tells me that it's totally fine, it might not be common knowledge for someone else who puts their trust and their faith in figures of authority. I think we need to analyze this idea of common sense Because some people might think, well, oh, it's common sense if they do it anyway, you know, they might deserve to get hurt. But as I said earlier, common sense implies common experience and common sense has to be taught. So if something is common sense for you, you might assume that it's common sense for others. I've had this conversation with my own fiance before where he knew something because of common sense and I didn't. And I'm like, well, Common sense is taught. You were taught that and I wasn't. Now I know. Now we can teach our daughter. Or now we can tell other people. And it's something I hear a lot from the older generations too. That kids these days don't have any common sense. Whose fault is that? It's up to us as... Oh, dare I say an older generation? Because I just turned 30? It's up to us as people who know better. People who have that experience in education to impart those common experiences and common lessons to the people that don't have them. So if someone comes to me and says that they were told they can ingest an herb with no side effects or no harm, I'm not going to respond with, oh, it's common sense, you shouldn't do that. They're asking for a reason. 
and I applaud anybody who asks questions and double checks the things that they have been told by supposed authority figures in their life, whether that be on the internet or in person or in a book. Ask questions. It's okay. Another way we do a disservice to beginners in our community, or just this one might apply to the community in general, but I was really thinking about it in terms of people who are coming to practice with no prior knowledge, um, is equating age with experience. And so you might see someone coming into the community who's really young and they're asking questions or maybe they're trying to help other people. And something that I've seen, especially in Discord communities, is that minors get talked down to. Minors get told that they shouldn't be teaching. Minors get told that they shouldn't be asking questions. But age does not equal experience. Someone could be 10 years old and have been raised in the craft and raised with all of the things that I now know how to do, but they've been doing it since they were a toddler. They might have more experience than me. They might know things that I don't. And you know what? That's fine. That's amazing, actually, in my opinion. And then on the flip side of that, just because someone comes in and they are older, maybe they are 40, 50, 60 years old, just because they come in and they are older doesn't mean they automatically know more than everyone that's younger than them. And in in this case... If they're older and they're a beginner, then maybe they're looked down upon by those around them. Maybe they think, maybe other people think like, oh, well, I mean, you're 60. You should have been doing this for the longest time and you're a beginner. That's ridiculous. And I really hope nobody actually thinks like that, but I don't know. So for sure, I think we definitely need to keep in mind that age doesn't equal experience in regards both to people who are younger and people who are older. I'm starting to think I should have put a script together for this episode because I probably have way more to say on these things, but flying by the seat of my pants doesn't always work well. Anyway, we can move into my next point, which is gatekeeping and fear-mongering. Now, I have already done an episode on gatekeeping and cancel culture in the occult community. If you haven't listened to it, I definitely recommend you do that. Um, just so you can understand what I mean by gatekeeping in this context. Because there is some gatekeeping that is good. Gatekeeping to protect cultural practices or initiatory experiences and mysteries. That's like, that's not what I mean when I say gatekeeping. What I mean by gatekeeping is telling someone that they, they can't do something for some silly reason. So, Let me give you an example that happened on TikTok a while ago. Um, Everybody on the witchcraft side of TikTok was talking about it, and it goes great with this particular topic. So what happened, and I'm learning about this, or I'm speaking about this secondhand. Um, I didn't see the original video. I only heard people talking about it, which seems to be how things get around on TikTok, but A beginner witch, someone who had just come into the practice, made a spell jar and decided to seal it with glue. I think it was, it might have been hot glue, hot glue or super glue, but they made a spell jar and they decided to seal it with glue instead of wax. And this person's comment section was full 
of nasty comments about how they're not a real witch. You have to seal spell jars with wax. You can't use glue. Like, that's dumb. Blah, 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 right? That's ridiculous. And that's kind of like a gatekeeping, fear-mongering mentality to tell somebody they can't seal a spell jar with what they have available to them. Someone else, I don't have a link to the video, but I remember seeing it, the video. Um, Someone else shared a screenshot of a book, I believe, where it talked about sealing spell jars. And in the book, it said that they used glue to seal their spell jar. Like, historically, if people made a spell jar, they're not going to seal it with wax, especially if they're in a place where it gets hot. The wax will melt. Sealing a spell jar with glue is a fantastic way to ensure that it doesn't come open unless you want it to. And that's the only real example that I can come up with off the top of my head right now. But for beginners, unless there is some cultural or um, initiatory reason for information being kept from you, I would question it. Oh, the other reason that information might be considered quote-unquote gate-kept is if it's potentially dangerous. So, um, for example, in a lot of Discord communities that I'm in, even in my own, we don't tend to talk about um, blood magic or sex magic or death magic or anything like that outside of a particular channel. It's age-locked, for one. Um, And that's because it's considered more of an advanced and dangerous practice, but also because Discord's terms of service. But anyway, there was also a video going around again on TikTok a couple months ago about someone who was getting really mad at the witches, and this person was a spiritualist, I believe. And she was telling people that they were doing things wrong, and you can't use the full moon for manifestation. You have to use the full moon for magic of letting go, and it's the peak of the energy, and yada, yada, yada. And people in the comments were like, what are you talking about? Now now I'm afraid that my magic isn't going to do what I want it to do because, according to you, I'm doing it on the wrong phase of the moon. Like, magic is so personal. Witchcraft is so personal that things like that, it shouldn't inspire fear in anyone, period. And that's all I'm going to (laughs) say. And I know on Twitter, Georgina, um, also known as Dot Darling, one of the hostesses of what is now known as Magnolias and Magic. She was, it was previously called Occultism with a Side of Salt. She created a hashtag a while ago called uh, Defend Occult Books and talking about how we need to read books and, um, you know, to stop pirating books and read the occult books and learn from them and support the authors in our community. And something that has been going on for a long time in a lot of communities is uh, people will create book blacklists, lists of books that you absolutely should never read, you shouldn't pick up, you shouldn't support the authors, or anything like that. And on one hand, these can be useful, these book blacklists, but only if they have context. That's the only time. 
Some of these lists I've seen have lists of books that have been influential in the witchcraft communities and the movement back in the 90s. And they say, oh, don't read them. Don't read Raymond Buckland. Don't read Doreen Valiente. Don't read Silver Ravenwolf. Don't read Crowley. Don't read Gardner. Don't, don't read any of those. But there's no context. And while I understand that these books were written in a different time, social norms were different, the, um, you know, gender equality was different, the uh, LGBTQ plus community was different then, but telling people they should not read a book with no reason behind why they shouldn't read it is dangerous and not helpful. Like, I can sit here and tell you that you absolutely should not read the book Witch by Lisa Lister. And you're probably going to ask me why. Unless you know the book Witch by Lisa Lister, then you probably know that it's full of transphobia and misogyny and uh, womb-centric magic that is infuriating, at the least. Um, But anyway, I don't think we should tell people what books they can and can't read depending on a few different things. But this is damaging to beginners because they look to these lists and they see all of these books that they shouldn't be reading per who? Who makes these lists? Some random witch on the internet? When book blacklists go around and they include a lot of books without context, that's a red flag because nobody should be telling you what to do or what not to do without a reason. I can sit here and tell you that a lot of older books by, like, Scott Cunningham, Gerald Gardner, uh, even in Raymond Buckland's books, the views are very gendered, but that's how it was, and sometimes that's still how it is, and the gender binary is an interesting concept within witchcraft practices, and I don't know enough about it personally to really go in-depth. But saying that you should just not read them because the concepts are gendered is... There's a word I'm looking for. I can't think of the word. It's on the tip of my tongue. Ah, wrong. Let's just go with wrong. It doesn't, it doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help anybody at all. And that leads into my next point, which is we do a disservice to beginners by not standing up to people in our community who spread harmful misinformation or harmful information in general. And there's a reason behind this, and I have hinted at it before, especially as a smaller creator, when these larger creators write books or um, create posts on social media that have harmful information, and those creators are larger, someone speaking out about it can be shut down. I have seen people in our community get doxxed and threatened and bullied off the internet for speaking up about harmful information that comes from larger accounts. And there's definitely a difference between uh, criticism and hatred. I never want someone to feel like it's okay to spread hate toward another person. But criticism is definitely acceptable, especially if you put yourself out there and you make public posts online, you have a podcast, you write a book, you make videos. When you put yourself out there, 
you're kind of inviting that criticism. You're inviting people to comment on what you're doing. It's expected, honestly. Like, I have gotten comments on some of my stuff. I have received criticism. And, you know, I have received praise at the same time. But I'm putting myself out there for that kind of interaction. Especially when I say, let me know, leave a comment. I'm asking for it, quite literally, uh, for people to let me know what their opinions are. But when we smaller creators feel like we can't criticize larger creators because of their platform or their audience, we do a disservice to beginners in our practice. And I have spoken with my friends about this so many times, but it's it still makes me nervous because I'm not trying to be doxxed. I have a child. That's entirely unsafe. My mental health, I don't think my mental health could handle it if something like that were to happen. But it's really unfortunate when people in the community who have platforms or just people in the community in general can't take constructive criticism about what it is that they're doing or what it is that they're saying. Maybe one day we'll move away from this as a community in general because it's very harmful to not only beginners but everyone else too. So maybe one day we'll move away from it but I don't know if today is that day for me. (laughs) One day I want to get comfortable enough to do that. The final point that I have, and I hope all of my points so far have made sense and haven't just sort of ran together or left you with more questions than than answers. Or I don't know, sometimes more questions is a good thing. The last thing that I want to talk about is a phrase that I see all over the internet everywhere for beginners. And it's baby witch. And I... Over the course of time, I have grown to not like this phrase. I don't like the phrase baby witch. And the reason for this is because nobody's a baby. The word baby implies that you're helpless. You're, you're infantilizing yourself. Or, you know, you're... Uh, I mean, I get that it's meant to... Say that you're brand new. You're brand new into the world of witchcraft. I understand that. But think about it this way. And I got I got this analogy from Olivia, the Witch of Wonderlust, on her Instagram. Nobody is a baby artist or a baby doctor or a baby designer or anything like that. People don't talk about themselves like that in other communities, other... other uh, hobbies or professions or whatever. And I don't know, I just, I think there are so many better ways to describe your practice than saying that you're a baby witch. And I get that it's cute. I get that you're saying that you're brand new if you use this phrase. And I'm not going to knock you if you use it. Because if you, if that's what you want to call yourself, more power to you. Um, but for me, I think it does harm to the community. I think it, it, it does a disservice to the beginners by putting them in this category of newness where they can be perceived as helpless, 
where they can be perceived as having zero skills at all and needing everybody to hold their hand. Because that's what I think of when I think of the phrase baby witch. I don't know. I I prefer phrases like seeker, a new seeker, or a beginner witch, or I don't know, if we want to go archaic sounding, a neophyte that's a beginner. You know, I, I just don't like the phrase baby witch. I had been asked before if I could do a whole episode on why I don't like the phrase baby witch and how I think it's damaging, but I don't think I really have much more to say about it other other than that. For me, it sounds childish, it sounds infantilizing, and I just don't like it. But again, I'm not going to look at you different if you use the phrase baby witch, if you find that it describes you and your practice in the way that you need it to. And I'm not going to take you any less seriously if you use the phrase baby witch. But I'm also going to hold you to the same standard as any other beginner that uses a different phrase. So, with all of that said, and with flying by the seat of my pants and just talking about all of these points, I hope it's all made sense. I want to give some final tips for any beginners that are listening to this, which is basically everyone because we're all a beginner at something, I promise you. Um, But anybody who is brand new to any sort of witchcraft community or practice, I have three final tips for you. The first one is to learn red flags. And any type of red flag will be helpful to you. Knowing any type of red flag will be helpful to you. What raises those intuitive hairs on your arms? What, you know, uh, what sounds too good to be true? What type of um, behaviors are red flags in one community are typically red flags in another community? One red flag that I have recently spoken about with some people on a forum that I help manage is when someone starts telling you that things have to be done a certain way. Now, this can sound like you have to snuff your candle instead of blowing it out. You have to do it that way. There's no other way that you can extinguish your your candle flame. You have to snuff it and you can't blow it out. You can't dip the wet, you can't dip the wick in the wax. You can't smother it. You can't do anything like that. Now, this is a red flag because it's a it's a candle. And without further context of why this person is saying you have to snuff your candle rather than blowing it out, you're not really going to know. And you might pick that up and think that it's the only way to do things. When the reality is that snuffing the candle might be the way they have to do things in their tradition because that tradition has certain rules. That leads me into my next tip is to question everything. Even the things that I say here on this podcast, question it. Ask questions. Cross-reference everything that you learn, everything you read, everything you hear in a YouTube video. Cross-reference it. If some, if one person says red is good for love and another person said that red is good for hate, cross-reference it. Figure out why those people are saying opposite things if it's something that you're interested in. Don't take one person's word at face value. There's a lot of people on the internet who are self-proclaimed experts in things. I am not one of those people. Please don't call me an expert ever in anything because I'm not. But it's okay to 
ask questions about why people do things a certain way. Sometimes you might run into answers of this is how we do it in our tradition, or it's just the way things have always been done, or you might even find people who say, I don't know why I do it that way, it's just what I do. At least you have an answer. And if someone ever berates you for asking questions, that's a red flag. Now, just because you ask a question doesn't mean someone has to tell you every single thing about their personal practice. They can say, this is how I do it in my practice and leave it at that. That's an, that's still an answer to your question. The last tip that I have for anybody new is to find a community that works for you. A lot of us are solitary practitioners, and I really like the way Christine Grace described it in my last podcast episode where I talked to her about it, about being a solitary practitioner in community. And that's how I view myself now. That's I like that phrasing, so that I'm, I'm running with it. I am a solitary witch. I practice alone in my home, and that's just how I do things. I'm not part of a coven. I'm not part of a group. But I have a community that I'm part of. I have a couple communities I'm a part of. And it's important for me to be part of that community where I can go to and and talk to people about my experiences and even ask questions about things that I don't know about. A community that uplifts you while offering perspective and answers to your questions in a helpful way while also not feeding you full of bullshit is one that I would want to be part of. This community can be in person, it can be online, it can be your family, you could join a circle or a coven or whatever. But I think it's really important to have that community aspect because as humans, we're social creatures. And even if our community is only a handful of people, it's still community. It's still people who are there to support you in your journey and you are also there to support them in their journey. Community is so important to me and I always recommend that people find a community that works well for them. So in all, I think that there are a lot of ways that we can handle beginners in community as people who have been here for a while. I think there are better ways we can go about sharing information or even treating people who are new to the community. So I hope this episode has given you things to think about if you're a beginner. I hope it's given you things to think about if you are not a beginner. And again, I hope it made sense because I didn't have a script for this one and uh, it's going to be fun creating the transcript and going back and hearing what I actually said. Anyways, let's end today's episode with a tarot card for the month of January. Today I am using my traditional manga tarot deck. And I'm going to give it three shuffles. Shuffle it nicely. One more. And let's see what card we pull to think about for the month of January. The Hierophant. Oh, this is the perfect card for this episode. Oh my goodness. So with the Hierophant going into January, really think about traditions and structure and why things are done a certain way. 
question your teachers, find a teacher if you don't have one and you want one. Reach out to community and know that you don't have to do it alone. But revel in the fact that you're a beginner. You're a beginner at something, I'm a beginner at something, and that's okay. Thank you so much for joining me here around the cauldron for this episode to chat about beginners in the community. If you'd like to support the show, there are several ways you can do so. You can join me on Patreon at patreon.com slash roundthecauldron for as little as a dollar a month. Since it is the new year, I am rolling out my new Patreon tier schedule. Everybody will get access to the same thing. Some things have changed, some things have stayed the same, but my Patreon is now on a sliding scale of pay what you can. Make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast wherever you listen. You can even subscribe to the podcast by subscribing to my YouTube channel where I also post the audio versions of these episodes. Make sure you leave a review wherever you listen if your particular podcast app lets you do that. I know not all of them do, but Apple Podcasts lets you leave a review and Spotify has now rolled out a review system for their podcast that they play there. I would love it so, so much if you could leave me five stars if you really enjoy the show and let me know what your favorite part about the show is. And lastly, if you can't support monetarily and you don't want to leave a review, that's okay. You can always help support the show by sharing it with your friends, sharing it on social media, and letting people know that you enjoy it. If you share about my podcast or my YouTube channel on social media, be sure to tag me so I can see it and share it as well. Again, thank you so much for listening. I hope you all have a wonderful new year, and I will see you in my next episode. Bye!